This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. morning. Happy Palm Sunday. You guys got your palms? Yeah? Let's practice waving them around. Come on, Hosanna in the highest. That's half of you. All right, that's better. Don't poke somebody in the eye though, please. We have insurance, but it's not that much. All right, if you need a Bible, go ahead and please raise your hand so we can get you one. We're in John chapter 12 this morning, the triumphal entry of Jesus. And what we're doing is, we just finished our glorious expectation series through 1 Peter, and and it's it's really no coincidence that it runs right into Easter, and I thought, you know, um, what a great opportunity to tie this, what our expectations are in God, let's tie that into... um, the expectations that we should have in Jesus today, but also look at in Scripture the expectations that the disciples had in Jesus, which is interesting. They completely and totally missed it. They had no clue what Jesus was really doing. And they looked at him, you know, as a heavenly man doing these miracles, but they looked at him from an earthly perspective. And they had expectations that he did not fulfill. And because he did not fulfill their expectations, to some degree or another, that's the reason that many of them rejected Jesus. So this morning, I know that you guys are tired and bored of three-point sermons, right? So this morning, we're going to have 32-point sermon. (laughs) Just kidding. Seven points. The calendars in your seat backs flip over on the reverse side. There's a space for taking notes so you can follow along. Seven points about our expectations in Jesus and how we can have right expectations in who he is. Amen? Also, I used to get these on Palm Sunday growing up at church. Did any of you guys get these before? And I said to my kids, I said, there's a, a good brother in the church who came and cut some of my palm fronds so that we can make these. And I said to my kids, hey, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to go on YouTube because they're all about tutorials and crafts and stuff. I said, look up how to make a cross out of uh, a palm frond. And we're going to take them to church tomorrow and give them out to people. And I thought that they were going to, you know, I figured they'd do it because I told them to. I commanded them to. So I figured, you know, they would. But, but I thought, you know... It, it might be technical. I mean, my kids are pretty talented because they're my kids, but um, <clears throat> I thought, you know, maybe I'd get five or ten out of them, and then they're like, this is boring, we're tired, you know, and, and that would be it, which would be fine. I'd bring five or ten, and we'd, you know, throw them out as prizes or something. That would really hurt. Um, but two and a half hours later, my daughter said to me, okay, Dad, I think we're done with the cross. I said, okay, how many did you make? She said, 50. So they made 50 crosses for you guys. So the, front, the palm fronds, keep those. You'll get a double blessing, a double anointing if you keep those at home. If you get a cross, it's a triple anointing, okay? So 
for a limited time, they're at the information station. Grab one on your way out and hang it up on your refrigerator. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do want to have, as we've been talking about over the last few months, we do want to have right expectations in who you are. We want to acknowledge that though we go through seasons of suffering and seasons of trouble and trial, that you are a part of the process and, and that you have good things, God, that, that are in store for us, that you're working out in and through us. And Father, we pray today that, that you would teach us by your word and, and further align those expectations, not just in who you are, but who is uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless your word, Father. We, we look at it as a time of, of worship, that we can submit to you in obedience and hear what you have to say to us. Give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to say. Father, we pray and thank you for that time of worship, that we could offer you the fruit of our lips. And also we pray, Lord, that you would bless the offerings and tithes that are made today, that those would not be done in compulsion, but it would be done in obedience, and it would be done as a form of worship. We love you, and we pray that you bless this time in our fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Furthering expectations, John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Point number one, what kind of king were the people looking for? What kind of leader, what kind of Messiah were the people expecting? Point number one, I'll tell you, they were looking for a political king. They were looking for somebody who was going to do what they needed, wanted him to do. But we'll find out quickly that that's not exactly what Jesus came, was to fulfill people's expectations in who he should be. He had a mission and a purpose from the Father. I didn't know if I was going to share this little snippet with you guys because it's a trigger. So trigger warning, anybody who gets triggered easily, close your ears. But when I was young, I had a conversation with my grandmother, and we were talking about uh, politics and who she was going to vote for in the upcoming presidential election. And she said to me, this is the person that I'm going to vote for. And, I, and it impressed me, and I asked her, why are you going to vote for that person, Grandma? And her response was, because if that person's elected, all of my medications will be cheaper or for free. And I said, really? That's the motivation for you to vote for that person? See, we look at political situations or, or that kind of scenario as, how is this going to benefit me? Not how is it going to benefit us? Not how is it going to be good for us as a whole, as a body, as a country? But, but what does this mean for me personally? How does this fit in with my ideology and what I want out of life? This is exactly the position that the people were in when Jesus comes and, and 
to the day that was prophesied to the day is presented them as Messiah and goes into Jerusalem. What can we get out of this? What did they want? They wanted, number one, a political king who would throw off the yoke of the Roman Empire, and they had zero understanding that God was about to do something way bigger than defeat the Romans. God was going to defeat death. Much, much greater than a foreign occupation Number one, they were looking for a political king. But number two, what was Jesus? Jesus was not a political king. He was an eternal king. Don't you think that an eternal king is much better than a political king? A political king maybe can change things uh, temporarily, but an eternal king, the eternal king, rules for all of eternity. Is that better, church? Jesus, who Jesus was to be for the people, was not this temporary fix, maybe for a generation, like we go through the Old Testament, look through the the, uh, judges and kings, and there were times of reform, and there were times of of the Spirit of God changing the nation, there was times of falling away and apostasy and rejection of God. But the eternal king rules king forever. The scepter will not pass from his hands. And Jesus wants them to understand. And he's going to, he's going to, we're going to see, he's going to try to explain it to them. But here we have this great multitude that had come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna. Does anybody know what the root word of Hosanna is in the Greek? or what it means. Hosanna literally means save us or help. We typically think of it as a proclamation. Hosanna, or some people would say, hooray, Jesus. But this is actually a political cry to him as their king. Save us from what? Not from ourselves, not from this world, from the Romans. Save us to what we want. And sometimes that happens to bleed over into the church. And we could identify as Christians or we can identify as believers in Jesus Christ based on, now, trigger warning, don't get mad at me, okay? I'm just a messenger. Based on what you can get from him, what you can get from the church. Well, hopefully not. Because the intention of Jesus coming as the eternal king was to bring and give us reconciliation to God the Father. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. When Jesus had found a young colt, he sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, this procession of a king was normal in that time, in that day and age, in that they would prepare for the coming. They would prepare the road, you know, uh, to, to, to receive the king into the city. He'd be brought around with great pomp and decoration on a horse, you know, because a horse signifies strength and victory. And the, the, the scriptures record for us that Jesus, could he have come on a horse? Hey, he could have come on a griffin or whatever. It's a flying lion if you don't know what a griffin is. But um, he humbles himself symbolically 
by writing in on the cult to help them with their perspective of who he really is. See, a political king will exalt themselves. You guys notice that? How politicians seem to be pretty self-centered, prideful. But the eternal king humbles himself and comes in on a colt, a donkey's colt. Look at number 16. I have this underlined if you're a note taker. His disciples did not understand these things at first. They didn't what? They had the wrong expectations. They didn't understand at first. When did they start to understand? But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. What are they doing? They're like going through the motions. You guys ever find yourself just going through the motions, expecting certain things from God? God, if I do this, you have to do that for me. Oh, I forgot that there's a purpose that I'm going through this struggling. Verse 17, Therefore the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Point number three, if you're taking notes, what kind of king is Jesus? Jesus is the king of life. He's the king of life. What did he do? He rose, he, he resurrected or rose uh, um, Lazarus from the grave. And it shows us in our expectation in who Jesus is. He, he's he's the, the, the resurrection. He raises things from the life. But l- take note, you can't be raised from the, from, from the dead in, unless you die. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next couple points. But contextually speaking, it's important to look at how this is sandwiched in this story. So what happens right before they proclaim him as the king? Do you guys remember? Right before we just read, but we can see in more detail if we look back, Jesus went and rose Lazarus from the dead. And it's the thing that kind of catapulted the people's morale into proclaiming him as the king of Israel. So there are these signs, there are these things that are, that are pointing to who Jesus is, and they had it right in in, 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 in essence, but they got it wrong in principle. And he's going to show them even more so that he is the king of life. Verse 20, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Beautiful words. I'd like to read that again. Let's take note of this, okay? Now there were certain Greeks. What are Greeks? Greeks are Gentiles, non-Jews, maybe proselytes, maybe converts, but they were from a different area. They were Gentiles, and they came to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Number four, if you're a note taker, number four, what kind of king is Jesus? Jesus is the king of the world. 
What was their expectation of Jesus? Their expectation of Jesus was, Jesus is our Messiah. He's our king. He's mine. Not yours. But here we see the impact that Jesus had, not just on the Jewish people, the Jews themselves, but the impact that he would have on the world. Look at this next statement that Jesus says in response to them telling him that these Greeks want to see him. Look what he says. But Jesus answered saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The glorification of Jesus Christ clearly was through his death, burial, and resurrection. But furthermore, being the Jewish Messiah, and greater than that, the king of the world. And he's glorified in that the whole world recognizes Jesus as king. You know, no other historical figure in the history of of history has had an impact on the world like Jesus Christ. It should get us excited just to talk about our King Jesus and that he's not just mine, he's the king of the world. And his intention and desire was to affect and and touch everybody in the world, not just one person. Do you ever hesitate or sharing the gospel or from sharing the gospel with somebody? We talked about this at our men's Bible study on Monday, and we went back and forth a little bit about it. Interesting question. Is there somebody that you would not share the gospel with? Like Peter, you know, hungry, goes up on his rooftop. God gives him three visions and says, what you uh, consider clean, I have cleansed and you shall no longer say is unclean, right? And then where does he go? Immediately, he's sent off to go talk to Cornelius in his, his house, which is a Roman soldier, the opposite of the kind of people you want to get saved and go to heaven, right? The occupying enemy, And sometimes we filter like that too. Like, oh, maybe you should love that person. Maybe you should share the gospel. No, I know who they voted for. They're going to hell. They're going to burn for all eternity and I'm happy about it. I'm not sharing the gospel with them. God's grace wasn't given to, to, to that measure. Now, I think that that might be the wrong perspective because Jesus came to be king of the world He came to touch everybody where they were at. He didn't get to, he he didn't pick and choose those people that he wanted to be with him. Mankind was going to be reconciled to God. But for some reason, sometimes we think that Jesus is just ours. Jesus is my Jesus. He can't be your Jesus. Well, not with that kind of mentality that you have, not with those things that you deal with. Well, didn't Jesus meet you where you were at when he met you too? Can't he meet other people where they're at? Even in sin, that's where Jesus meets people, in their deficiencies, in their sins, but not them. Have you ever struggled or resisted from sharing the gospel with somebody because you know their opinions about certain things? We talked about it on Monday in the men's Bible study, and and, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, I'm more excited to share the gospel with certain people than others. Well, God can't really want them to know who he is. Yes, God does. And he wasn't just the Messiah or the king of the Jews. He was the king of the Jews and the Gentiles of the whole world. And this is how he was glorified in that through his death, burial, and resurrection, 
he impacted the whole world. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If everyone serves me, him my father will honor. Number five, if you're still following along, too many points. Lost you already. It's okay. Number five, Jesus is the king over death. Now, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and and is buried, it cannot produce fruit. And what has Jesus even said before? That unless death comes, unless death comes, life cannot be produced. We think to the contrary. No, we don't want death. We don't want to go through the struggle, the difficulty. But like I mentioned a few minutes ago, if there isn't a dying to self in the flesh in life, then there comes no resurrection from the death. Something has to die before it can be raised. Do you know there are certain things in your life that God wants dead? That's strong, right? Pastor Tim, I didn't come here to be uncomfortably challenged by you. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit, so suck it up. The resurrection cannot happen in your life unless something dies, unless the flesh dies. And if there's something that I can identify that needs to die in my life, when I'm willing to submit to the Lord and for it to be crucified, the biblical principle is that I will always end up bearing fruit through that death. Jesus is speaking of himself positionally, unless I singularly die, there can't come any increase. My example of absolute, ultimate selflessness is going to produce a fruitfulness in the world that you can't even imagine. Think of the fruitfulness that came from the obedience of Jesus' death. Think of the fruitfulness thing. You can't think about it. You know why? Because it's greater than you could even comprehend. You think of the myriads of people that we're going to be standing with in heaven, worshiping God. Think of the millions, nay, billions. Do you know how many, a trillion? Trillions of people. How many people are going to be reconciled to God and partake of God's glory because of the obedience of death, burial, and resurrection of the Son. One grain of seed. Through one Adam, sin came into the world and contaminated all. Through the second Adam came forgiveness of sins and fullness of reconciliation to God. For God so loved the world, the whole world. Jesus is the king over death. He reigns over it. That's what our expectation of him should be. Now my soul is troubled, verse 27. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Was there a struggle for Jesus? Absolutely. I mean, he was part human. 
there was a struggle. Do I really have to go through this? And this is the rhetorical question that he asks. And look at it. It's interesting. He says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? What shall I say? Should I ask God to, to take it away from me? Father, save me from this hour? No, but, but for this purpose, for this reason, having reasonable, correct expectations in his calling and through obedience, this is the reason that I came. This is why I'm here. I believe wholeheartedly that God doesn't bring us through seasons of life and difficulty that he won't reveal to us in the future, especially if, he asks, if we ask, he won't reveal to us the purpose and reason for at some point in the future. Now, I believe some people uh, think that they may never know. I think God wants us to go through seasons expecting good things in him so he can reveal those purposes through those difficult seasons to us. If we reject or deny that it was his will or that it was his purpose in taking us through that season, it's going to be harder for us to come full circle and accept the fact that it was for a good reason. But if we ask him, I believe he's faithful to show us. And look at what he says. He says, it was for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Take note if you are a theologian or you want to know more about God. The Trinitarian nature of God is also selfless. Jesus Christ is always pointing people to the Father. The Holy Spirit through Scripture especially in the New Covenant, New Testament, the Holy Spirit is always pointing people to Jesus. Jesus is pointing people to the Father, and the Father is, is how we receive uh, eternal life and reconciliation to him to, to understand and know who he is. So Jesus isn't like, a, I did this really bad um, like pro, pro wrestler impersonation in the first service that I'm going to spare you guys from, Okay. Uh, my, my John Cena voice or something like that. It was really bad. But, you know, Jesus isn't like, yeah, it's all about me. Yeah, God, glorify me. I'm the best in the world. I want everybody to know that through my obedience, I'm the most incredible thing that ever happened to them and show them how awesome I am. He didn't do that, did he? It wasn't about him. Through his obedience to the point of death, the entire time, he's just pointing to God the Father. And, and I think that that's something that we can come away with in, in our own lives. And, and instead of focusing on what the reason is for my struggles and my difficulty, and God, what's the purpose that you want to show me? Hey, what about maybe we can use those difficulties to point people to God? And say, God, may you be glorified through this difficult season. May you be glorified through this joblessness. May you be glorified through this sickness. May you be glorified through this broken relationship. And I know because I've been through that stuff too. I know that that stings. And that deep down inside of us, the flesh says, but why? Why me? Why this God? I thought you loved me. What about if it's God demonstrating his glory through you in that suffering? What if, if that's what our perspective is instead of take it away, stop it? 
What if it's God, you are, you are so good and I want your glory to be demonstrated through this suffering. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. You know what I love? I love that Jesus is kind of just like talking to God while he's talking to people. I feel like I do this all, all day, you know? Prayers without ceasing isn't me getting on my knees in the corner and saying a prayer, you know? And this is the time I'm going to spend with God. Now I'm done, God, and when I have to go about my real life. No, it's a continual conversation. Lord, what about this person? Lord, what about that person? How are they doing? How can you meet this person in this season, this difficulty that they're in? And he's kind of having a conversation with people. And then he says, uh, Father, glorify your name, talking to him. And then God answers. God answers. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. What does God speaking to, to Jesus confirm about who he is? This is what I would say. Number six, okay? This is what I would say. Did he do it for Jesus' benefit? No. Who, whose benefit did he do it for? The peoples to confirm, number six, that Jesus, what kind of king is Jesus? Jesus is the king of kings. You know how that's greater than the others? Because the king of the world is king over everybody. But king of kings means that you're the number one king. Numero uno, king. And God has put his seal of approval confirming not only that the people declare, decree, and cry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, but God says, I have glorified and will glorify it. What has he and will he glorify again? His name. Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it, and I'm going to continue to glorify it. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. I got ahead of myself when I asked you that question. Don't hold it against me, okay? Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Look at this. Jesus is the king of kings. He's not just the king over all the good kings. He's the king of all the bad kings, too. Jesus is greater, his authority is greater than any principality or power, period. He says, I, as the king of kings, recognized by the Father, will toss the enemy out. I like that. The king of kings. Not only will he judge or deal with the enemy, but he will also draw all peoples to himself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die, which we know um, he was raised up on the cross. And anybody that goes to the cross has forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? 
Who is this son of man? Well, I like that they're asking questions. They're getting there, huh? Maybe. <laughs> Wait, our king's supposed to be eternal. So there was some kind of eternal element that they were hoping for or expecting, but it was still very earthly and carnal. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. They didn't understand. Again, they didn't get it. Think of uh, the disciples. Think of those who were extended disciples following him, they really didn't understand the fullness of what Jesus was coming to the earth to do. Verse 37, But although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Number seven, kind of a sad way to round out our seven points, but Jesus was the king rejected, the rejected king. He's still the eternal king. He's still king of the world. He's still the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But at this point, he was rejected. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, we've been talking about this hardening of hearts uh, pretty recently in, in Joshua on Wednesday nights as we study through the book of Joshua, it came up again. And, and we see there's a, a hardening of people's hearts. And, and what I've noticed throughout Scripture, whether it's Pharaoh, in Joshua, even in the New Testament, people harden their hearts. Romans chapter 1 speaks of people hardening their hearts. You know, God doesn't like mysteriously cause you to not want to be healed. When we see a hardening of heart in the scripture, it's a response by God to where somebody else already is, already finds themselves. We use the example of Balaam and Balak and, and how Balaam wanted to curse the Israelites for his own personal benefit. And, and he kept trying over and over again, and he could not curse the people of God. But he had already so said it in his heart that afterward he went away and then gave them a secret on how to defeat the, the Israelites by sending in the Moabite women uh, to, to commit sexual immorality with the children of Israel. And he, Balaam ended up getting in trouble, and Balak got his result that he wanted. But when we look at a hardening of people's hearts, we see in Romans chapter 1, it's a confirming. It's not without due purpose or reason. It's the people have place themselves in that position and God's confirming where they're at. Remember the generation that Jesus is dealing with. He said, you guys are a, a wicked generation. There was a confirmation in their unbelief. And there's instructions for us in scriptures too to, to, to shrink back from unbelief. Allow Jesus to be who he truly is, not who you need him or want him to be. 
These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They loved the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God, doing what was right. This is the only gospel that doesn't give us the further context of what happens as Jesus' first act as king going into Jerusalem. It, it's slightly inferred here, not clearly. In the three other gospels, it's clearly communicated what the first thing Jesus does as the proclaimed king. Does anybody know what it is? He marches down to the synagogue or to the temple and he drives out the money changers. This is who King Jesus is. He goes down to the court of the Gentiles where they have these, these booths set up to make money and he makes a, a, a whip of cords in John chapter two and he drives them out. Take your, your leaf, take your palm frond and, and, and smack the person next to you. Don't do it, don't do it, just kidding. He drove them out and he said, you have made my, my father's house a den of robbers. My father's house is a house of prayer for all nations. This wasn't the purpose that he intended. Now get out of here. What do you think from their perspective, from the Jews, if Jesus is now the king, they've proclaimed it, he's going into Jerusalem on the, on the donkey, what should be his first act as king going into Jerusalem? What do you think? Marching probably right down to Pontius Pilate's house or to the Roman garrison and, or, or mustering up the troops, the people. Come on, guys, this is it. We're going to overthrow them now. We're going to take care of business. But what's the opposite of that? Going to the established religious authority and telling them that they were wrong? Do you see how the perspective is so different? You see how sometimes we could try to get Jesus to fit into our agenda and, and get him to do the things that we want him to do when he had a completely entirely different uh, perspective and, and intention in the first place. He says, this is what I want to do in your life. This is how I'm going to manifest myself to you. This is how you're going to know who God the Father really is. The king rejected Because he didn't do what the people wanted him to do. You know, I've seen people in their faith identify as Christians, attend church, but when their life goes sideways and things start to get too difficult, they say, Jesus isn't doing what he's supposed to do in my life, so you know what? Maybe I'm just going to do my own thing again. But, but wait, why not ask the Lord? Why not seek what he can teach you through those things that you have to go through. I know that they're painful. I know that it's difficult. But we don't say to God, God, this is how you are to operate on my terms. We, don't, we just don't do it. And you know, for me, whenever I look at my life and I say, God, through this difficulty, glorify yourself. And I don't know what's happening now, but I'm sure I know that in the future, you will reveal to me why I had to go through this. I was just sharing with somebody the other day this, this uh, 
very difficult thing that I had to go through recently, not too long ago. And it was very disheartening. And I shared, you know, the story of this, this, this trial and how it turned out. And then I, and I said, but, but I saw right afterwards, right after I saw the hand of God in it and why he purposed to do those things in my life. They're like, yeah, but are you sure? Like maybe the other thing would have been better. I know it wasn't, wouldn't have been better. No matter how much I would like to think it would be better, I know positively that it would not have been because I trust him to work through those purposes in my life and not to say, God, glorify me in this tribulation or glorify the church in this, this trial, but glorify yourself in my suffering. Because unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and is buried, it cannot produce fruit. I have seen more life come from my life through death than I can even possibly try to explain to you guys. But that's the promise. And it's about having a right expectation in my life of who Jesus is. And I'm sorry if for some of you this whole expectation thing is getting redundant, but for me, it's not. (laughs) Because I live through it on a daily basis. I gauge everything. I try not to have expectations. And then what happens? You have an expectation not to expect something. It doesn't even make sense. Jesus told them, listen to this, Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen. Not parabolically, not theoretically, not illustratively. Well, he did those things too, but he actually told them literally, this is what's going to happen. In one of the gospels, three times back to back in Mark, he says, I'm going to the cross to die. I'm going to the cross to die. I'm going to the cross to die. And then the response is, Jesus, come on, Jesus. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're not going to die. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And how often am I more mindful of the things of man than the things of God? If I say to you, this is going to happen, wouldn't you expect that's going to happen? If I say to you, after second service today, I'm going to in and out Who's with me? You can be sure that I'm not going to stink town across the parking lot. I'm not going there. I'm not going to stinkierville to the right. Jesus said it. He said, this is what's going to happen. This is where I'm going. Why would anybody have any different expectations than what he said? But I do sometimes. I take, I pick, and I choose what's good for me, what's not. How do I want this to work out in my life? And it's good to be reminded. Seven things to readjust our perspective on King Jesus in closing this holiday Easter season. Jesus does not necessarily fit into your political agenda. He can in a good way. You can stand up for right things absolutely 100%. But Jesus is not a political king. Number two, Jesus is an eternal king. That means all of those issues that you'd like him to address and take care of, he supersedes them and is greater than them because all of those things will pass away. He never will. He's an eternal king. He's the king of life. They didn't want anything to die. They didn't want things to die, but Jesus brings life from death. 
And sometimes it's necessary for things in our life to die so that God can resurrect and bring life. Jesus is the king of the world. He's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of the world. They wanted him to be their savior. Not everybody else's, but he was. Number five, he's the king over death. And we know scripture implicitly teaches us over and over again, not just in these verses that we read, but over and over again, that when, when there's a dying to self in the Christian life, it produces life. Jesus, number six, is the king of kings. He's not just the king of the world. He's the king over all kings. And this is uh, recognized and authorized by the Father. And then lastly, he's the king rejected. And I like how it says in those verses there that we read, starting that section, the king rejected. It was in spite of everything that he did and said, he was still rejected. I want to implore you all, church, right now, our, our country is going through some crazy things. The world is going through some crazy things. I don't know if you if you realize, but there was just the news yesterday that came out that Russia is setting up the new world order, okay? So get ready, because if it's in the news, it's probably on the verge right now of happening. But our world is messed up. We need to have the right perspective. We need to have correct expectations of who he is and how we can present him to the world. There's nobody that we wouldn't share the gospel with. And your friends and neighbors and coworkers right now are, are more likely to go to church with you on Sunday if you invite them to Sunday morning service. They're more likely to go to church with you if they're invited than any other day of the year. That day particularly, they're more likely. So love on them. It's not about going to church, but you know that we teach the Word of God here. We, we preach the gospel. Invite somebody to church on Easter. Look at your own self and what you're going through and prepare your heart to receive Him. A new in this season. You know, I almost did uh, the, the triumphal entry through the gospel of Luke. That's my, my, my original intent is what I wanted to do, but... But, but I got steered over in this direction instead. But the, the, the thing that really jumped out to me in, in the Luke uh, account is that it says that Jesus was upset, you know, he was, he was bummed out, if you will, because they did not recognize the time of their visitation. <laughs> like God came to visit mankind and they did not recognize it as the time of visitation because they had different expectations. Hey, let's be open this season, Lord, to what you have for us so that we can fully embrace your visitation and we can give it to others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in your faithfulness to us, in your unwavering faithfulness to us, we worship you. We don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. 
We couldn't figure it out ourselves. They couldn't figure it out themselves. It's not fair for us to even point fingers when people reject you. We just need to make sure, we want to make sure that our hearts are in the right place to receive you. And once and for all, one time, but, but, but continually. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and, and ask that you would baptize them in your Holy Spirit. Just empower them with your spirit to be lovers of you going out this week that they would so exemplify you that people would ask them questions, what's wrong with you? That you would so fill them with power and love and that they would have boldness in the Holy Spirit to speak, even to speak truth, prophesy, to heal other Mighty signs through your church, God, would happen through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to direct people to you that your name would be glorified. We love you and we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.